following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you are just with us this day as we gather here in your presence. Be with us as we walk through this passage, the truth that you've given to your Apostle John. Be with me as I speak that you would just take my powerless words and use them for your glory. Your word changes lives. Your word transforms. So be with us as we take a look at your word. Call us to bring our life into obedience to its truths. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So Pastor Steve is away, and and so is Jed traveling, so I have the opportunity of coming to talk to you today. And um, what what Jed and I have decided to do is when when Steve isn't here, we're going to walk through some of the smaller epistles in the Bible. Jed worked through Philemon, and today we're going to take a look at 2 John. So you turn your Bible over to 2 John. I'll give you some background information about this, this letter before we take a look at it. First, the author of this epistle never clearly states who he is. He calls himself the elder, or uses the word presper. And this letter is, is a very intimate letter. So it seems that the recipient, recipients, what's the right word there? Recipients, thanks. Yeah, I'm preaching today, folks. It's awesome. The people getting the letter seem to know him very well. So he doesn't need to go into a whole big thing. Like when I write a letter to my family, I don't say, Dear Mother and Father of the Son, known as Kurt, living in Salt Lake City. I just say, Mom, Dad, they know who I am. This letter is written to the chosen lady and her children. And the church traditionally has held that John is the author. There's not been much debate over that. Because as you read through this letter, the topic and the form that he uses is consistent with the other letters attributed to John. He calls himself the elder Some people wonder if he's saying he's the elder of the church or that he is the elder. Because most likely when this letter was written, 
He is the lone surviving apostle, the elder of the church as a whole. The bigger question is who is this lady? Who are her children? Some say it's a specific woman and her family that John is writing to, most likely living in the area of Ephesus, which is now modern-day Turkey. But the other view, the view that I affirm, the one that that I think most fits with this, is that the, the chosen lady is actually the church, and the children are the individual members of that church. Some of this is because as you read through this letter, you see the use of plurals. And um, the Old Testament tradition of calling Israel a woman. Or in the New Testament, like 2 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 5, the church is called the bride of Christ. Also, the very next book, 3 John, is addressed to an individual And he addresses their name. So if this is to an individual, a specific woman, why doesn't he use her name? And then again at the very last verse of chapter, of John chapter, of John 2, he says, the children of your elect sister greet you. So unless John is well known by a family of believers who also have children who are believers, which is possible. But it seems that the flow of this is more to a church. And this other elect woman with her children would be another church, probably in the same neighborhood. So why does he write this letter? I'm going to give you some of the reasons why, and then we're going to actually look at it. He writes it because he wants to draw the church back to its center. The truths that it needs to hold dear. He desires for this church to know love. And not only know love, but to share it with others. And he also wants to warn the church of heresy that is starting to creep in and then others who are taking advantage of the church's goodwill. So let's read Second John. I'm going to read all of it because it's pretty brief. But today we're going to focus on verses 1 through 6. Second John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that you have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
Such one is the deceiver, the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, that you may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Is it my ears, or is it ringing a lot? Should I talk in a deeper voice, Kevin? Will that help? The phrase in truth is used five times in six verses. John and the others love in truth. They love because of the truth. The truth abides. It literally means remains. It sits within them. And the truth will be with them forever. The truth is the key to this passage. John wants to remind the church of the truth as he sets up the warning against the heresy that is creeping into them. The truth is also important because of its connection with love. He loves the lady and her children because of the truth. Verse 2. It seems that what he is saying is that if you remove truth, you remove love. The first point that I have today is love void of truth is not love at all. Love void of truth is not love at all. So what is this truth that the elder is writing about? What truth is his love so dependent on? The great truth. The ultimate truth. The ultimate reality that God has revealed himself in Christ and his gospel. Everything that John is, everything that makes up who he is as a person, is firmly rooted in this truth. That God revealed himself in Christ and through his gospel. This ultimate truth is at the core of who he is. It's what motivates what he does, including real love that flows from him. This ultimate reality is found in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I have to ask you, Do you live with this same reality that John does? Do you live in the reality of who Jesus really is? I think we forget sometimes. We make Jesus so human that we forget that he's fully God. 
Christian, do you live in the reality of what He has done for you? Or do you say, yes, I know what He did, and then you just live life like nothing has happened? These truths should affect how we live, and in so would affect how we love. You see, love void of truth is not love at all. When we begin to separate ourselves from the truth of God, we begin to taint love. There can be only one truth. This is, this is really hard for some people to believe. I work with young people all the time. They have multiple truths. At least they think they have multiple truths. It's probably a better way to phrase it. Because as soon as you ask, well, if this is true, how can that be true? Then they're like, uh, I don't know. But what we do is we take the actual truth or multiple truths that we somehow jumble into like a package deal and we put that in place of the actual truth. And all these truths that we hold are really veils of what the truth we really hold is that I'm important. And we put ourselves in the place that the truth is supposed to be. And it makes our love selfish because what do we end up loving for? For ourselves. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is not self-seeking. But if I've put myself in the center of who I am, the only thing I care about is me. So if I'm loving you, it's with the purpose that you're going to give me something back. What do you hold near? What's the most important truth that you keep in your heart? If you're holding some corrupt truth that you're the most important thing in the world, maybe that's the one I like to go to the most, and you're not, how can you expect to produce real love? If I desire to show true love, then at my core, I must hold the ultimate truth that God had chosen to show himself through Christ. Fully man, fully God. In verse 1, he talks about also all who know the truth. The Greek phrasing is actually all having known. It's not having known. We use two words in English. It's one word in Greek. But it's actually, it's the perfect tense. It indicates that they fully grasped it in the past. It is affecting them now, here, in the present, and will continue to have effects on into the future. It's perfected. It's perfect. They knew the truth, and it was so central to who they were that it affected them now, and the next day, and the next day, and all the way on into the future. Do you hold a truth like that? 
a truth that truly affects who you are, the very fiber of your being. If you hang out with anybody long enough, like from the time they were a younger person all the way up, isn't it amazing how much they change? Like this is true, and then they live this way, and then this is true, and then they live this way, and then this is true, and then they live. Have you seen that? Maybe you've seen it in the person you're married to. That's not a present perfect tense truth that they're holding. And so the way they act, what's important to them changes. But John wants to drive this church to the truth. Because if you know what's actually true, it's really easy to spot what's false. Love void of truth is not love at all, also plays out in a secondary way in this passage. If you look at at, at verse 6, he says this, And this is love, that you walk according to his commandments. What John is saying is, if you desire to love, then you have to do it a certain way. That's what according means. According to his commandments. That means if you want to do love, then you must do the commandments. You can't show love a different way than the way God has set out love to be shown. Because as soon as you show love separate than the way God has established it, there you are, you're moving away from God. And love becomes tainted again. But the thing that you have to see in this, that sometimes we miss as we read through things, if I want to love, I have to do the commandments. Do you get that? If I want to love, I have to do these things. That must mean that these things are good. That they're true. That they're actually loving. Imagine that, a commandment as a good thing, as a commandment as a way of showing love. That goes against who we are as people. If you're a parent, you know that. How many times have you given a commandment out of love and your kid just looks and says, are you kidding me? If we're not calling people to these life-giving truths, do we actually love them? If you say that you love someone and yet you're not willing to say, look, this is what's best for you, you don't really love them. I love you so much, but I'm not going to tell you that your sin is in rebellion to God. I love you so much, but I'm not going to share the sweetest truths of the gospel with you. I love you so much, but I'm not going to call out the idolatry that your job is and how it causes you to neglect your wife and children, because that would be improper and rude. 
the truth actually produces love for others. That's why John wants us to dwell on it. If you know the truth, you're going to produce love for others. That doesn't mean it's any easier to then share that truth with others. I've known some amazing men and women of God, and none of them have ever said, you know what's really easy? Calling out sin. Easiest thing. If it's easy to you, it's probably because it has no love. If you desire to love, you need to soak in the truth. Soak in the reality of God's self-disclosure. The more that you're infused with these truths, the more you will actually love selflessly. And that's what true love is. I love the truth. I, I, I love it. I love taking time to read it. I love thinking about how it should affect me and other people. The scripture actually calls me to be a person of the truth. We sit and talk about the truth all the time. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I don't know how valid it is. I have my own opinions. We could talk about them later. But when I'm around in this valley and I meet other Christians and they find out that I work here or, you know, that and stuff... Like, they, they say, oh, you, you go to that church. And what they mean by that is, like, you go to that church, they're all about theology. They're all about the truth. But they're missing something. And usually my response is, really? When was the last time you were there? Because you should probably come and find out if we're still like that. Because you left 20 years ago. Or you actually never came. You just heard from so-and-so who heard from your second cousin who heard from so-and-so. But we can do that, can't we? We know this thing, but it actually doesn't affect us. There's supposed to be a balance. Actually, that's wrong. There's not supposed to be a balance. Remember that. Hopefully I do when we get to that point in a second. Second point here. Truth without love is not true at all. So if love without truth isn't love, truth without love isn't true. Truth is more than academics. Like I said, we can sit here and know. Truth is more than knowing what there is to know. Think of this. When you read the gospel, who are the first people to really get who Jesus was? I guess they're technically not people. Demons. Who's the first person to call Christ who Christ is publicly? Demons. They know the truth. They knew who Jesus was. They knew what he was there to do. And guess what? Right now, they fully understand what Christ has already accomplished. But I'm not going to go sit down and find out, hey, demon, how should I love? You obviously know what the truth is. Show me how to love. Hold on in Second John there, but flip over to First Corinthians.
First Corinthians chapter 13, you know, the, the love chapter. And, and a lot of times we pick up a little bit later on the chapter when we start reading this. But if you read the first three verses of First Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not loved, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, so to remove mountains, but have not loved, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, and have not loved, I've gained nothing. Man, to have the ability to speak in tongues of angels and men, that's awesome. To have the ability to understand all the mysteries and knowledge of the world, to have amazing faith to say to a mountain, you, over there. That's someone who knows something. And not just knows it, he actually wants to live it out. But every, every verse ends with that but. But if I have not loved. If I have not loved, I'm a clanging symbol. But if I have not loved, I'm nothing. If I have not loved, I've gained nothing. Truth is great, but when it is robbed of love, it leads to disappointment and dissatisfaction. If you know truth and it doesn't do anything to you, it's dissatisfying. If you're filled with knowledge, I mean, how many times have you maybe gone to a class or in college, you've taken this class and you've, you've sat there day in, day out, you're full of knowledge, and then you realize now, 10 years later, I've never used anything that I learned in that class. Doesn't that frustrate you? Probably because you had to pay for that class too, and the books are like $90 anyway, and so, like... That's a frustration. You have all this stuff, but it has done nothing to you. Man, why did I sit in that class? The same is here. If you know truth and it doesn't affect how you live, man, that's dissatisfying. Truth without love doesn't bring life. If the truth is the gospel and the gospel brings life, you know the truth and yet you're not applying it and you're not bringing life. You're going to end up disappointed. You see, there's balance here. This is what this is. This is well, there isn't balance. That's what the point I was trying to make. And then it came back to me right now. You, Christian, are supposed to bring a hundred percent of the truth to people. You're supposed to bring a hundred percent love to the people. Truth without love doesn't bring life. If you just bring the truth and just vomit it onto somebody, 
they're going to move away from the very thing that is supposed to give them life. I had a a non-Christian person talking to me one time and they were sharing to me about other Christians and some of the conversations that they've had with these people and how they, they said, I need to share this with you because I love you and you need to know this because it's what's best for you. They said, here's the part that really put them off. If it's love to share that with me, why do I feel like they're beating me with it? It was constantly, you're wrong, you're evil, you're this, you're that, you do this wrong, you shouldn't think that way. And all those things are true. I'm not denying that. But what about the other truths that those are supposed to be shared with? What about the truth that God is gracious? What about the truth that God is forgiving? What about the truth that God has love to share with this person? What about the truth that prior to you actually knowing Christ through the gospel, you were on the same side that this person is, that you're driving the truth with a baseball bat to the side of their head with. When truth is void of love, all you're left with is legalism. Now, I don't know about you, but my, my faith isn't based on legalism. The, the, you know, that checklist faith, I've done this, I've done this, I haven't done those things. Ooh, that's a good one. Hear me correctly. I'm not asking us as a church or you as a person to water down the truth. Christians are actually called to live a certain way. You can't just kind of pick and choose what you want. I like this truth because that one makes me happy. I don't like this truth because that's really hard. I'm not saying that. But church, too often our courage and our zeal for the truth eclipses our compassion. Truth without love is not true because real truth produces love. That's my heart for my kids. My own kids. I want to sit and teach them the truth. Not just so that they can walk away and say, I know what's right. Or so that when they have Dr. Hill in their class, they can raise and say, I know the answer. Jonah was in the whale for three days. Not a week. I want them to know what's true so that in Dr. Hill's class, when the kid falls down and everybody else laughs, they come up and actually love that kid. Or when they're older and they're sitting in Mr. Hope's music class and some kid is being made fun of time and time again because of something they did wrong, the person, hopefully my kid, comes up and says, you know what, I did things wrong too. Let me tell you where I found forgiveness of those things. 
That's why I want the truth shared. That's why Pastor Steve and Jed and I stand up here and bring the truth. It's in the hopes that love would flow from these things. How does the truth produce love in us? We use this term in this church called taking every thought captive. And I've talked about this in the past. Like when a thought pops into my head, I need to hold it up and say, here's what I know the truth is. Here's the thought. Oh, it's not truth. Put it away. And when I think about the truth, when I think of the truth of the gospel, it reminds me of where I was prior to knowing the gospel. And when I think about the truth of the gospel and I realize, man, Christ was compassionate and loving to me, so shouldn't I be compassionate and loving to this person? I can forgive this person for sinning and doing wrong against me because I'm just a person. I mean, look at me. I can't even say words that I'm supposed to say that are written down on a sheet of paper at the beginning of my sermon. How perfect am I? And they just lied to me. How many times have I lied to the perfect, holy God? Man, Christ was able to give himself to me, so why am I not able to give myself to others? As soon as I look at that, it drives me to want to give myself to others. As I rest in these truths, I find myself desiring to imitate the Father. I find myself desiring to love. Because in 1 John 4, 8, it tells me that the Father is love. Truth and love are not meant to be separate entities. They're not meant to be held at odds from one another. Truth and love go together. Truth produces love for others, and love drives us to the truth. Did you get that? Truth produces love for others, and love drives us to the truth. comes to the third point. When you love, sorry, when you walk in truth and love, rejoicing will be found. Here's where it gets really cool. When you walk in truth and love, rejoicing will be found. God has given us the truth. You just need to put your hope in it. And as you do, love produces. So now as I'm walking in truth and love, rejoicing is going to be found. This is what he says. He says here, right in verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Why is John rejoicing that they're walking in the truth? Well, one, he shares, he says, because that's what the Father commanded us to do. He wants you to do that, so you should do that. Because it's a command. 
And like we said earlier, commands aren't hateful, spiteful things thrown out by a man with a big beard and a lightning bolt in heaven. It's thrown out by a God who knows what you need. When you're obedient to God, you're actually glorifying Him. Isn't that awesome? I've had people say that to me. Man, how do I... I hear you talk about glorifying God. How am I supposed to do that? Obey. John's also rejoicing because if they're walking in the truth, they're not walking in the heresy that he's about to talk about a little bit later in the chapter. He rejoices that they're walking in the truth because it is a very real, real fear for this church that they might be led astray by people who were once part of that church. That's where he says, some have gone out. But there seems to be something more to John's rejoicing than just mere obedience to a command to walk in truth. And I want to say this. When an apostle says, I'm rejoicing because of something, that means that God is rejoicing in that same thing. So it's not just John who is rejoicing that some are walking in the truth. It is God who is rejoicing because some are walking in the truth. Take a look at verse 3. Grace, mercy, And peace will be with us. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. In truth and love. John rejoices that some are walking in truth because as you walk in truth, you will find that you begin to walk in step with love. If you are in truth and in love, the great gifts of the Father are given to you. Grace, mercy, and peace. It's not just John and God who should rejoice in these things. We, church, should rejoice when we find people walking in truth because grace, mercy, and peace will be with them. Isn't that what we want for each other? Rejoice when others are walking in truth and love because grace, mercy, and peace of the Father and of the Son will not only be with them, but then will be exuding forth from them to others. That sounds like the church I want to be part of. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that isn't the church I am part of. 
But you guys are just Salt Lake City. I know people in other places and their church isn't there yet. And you yourself might be there, but the person next to you might not be. So maybe you need to be exuding grace, mercy, and peace on the person sitting next to you a little bit more to help them to see it and grasp the truth of it and say, that's how that plays out in your life? That's awesome. These are good things. Church, we should be rejoicing because we have much to rejoice in. These gifts are ours here and now in Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace, you don't have to wait for that. You can have that right here, right now. So church, let us rejoice as we walk in truth and love. Because the Father will shower grace, mercy, and peace extravagantly. He has given us what we need to love. You just need to hope in that. Let's pray. Lord God, You are the truth. Help us to see that. Remove scales from our eyes so that we see you as the truth, the only truth, the glorious, ultimate truth. Nobody wants to pursue a lie. Help us to see the truth. Lord, help us to hold it in our hearts so that from that truth, love will grow out of it. Spirit, encourage us. Spur us on to walk in truth and love that we would experience the grace of God in amazing ways. Lord, we thank you for people like John who not only write letters, but maybe are in this very building, who encourage us in the truth, in love. Help us to become those kinds of people. Help us to be a people who encourage one another in truth and love so that we would experience you in awesome ways. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 
6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.